Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Linux Reality. My name is Chess Griffin and I'm your host for the next 30 minutes or so. Um, boy, does that sound like a radio intro or what? I, I, don't, I don't know what came over me. Uh, but anyway, yes, welcome to Linux Reality. This is a podcast for new Linux users and uh, really just uh, anybody who has an interest in Linux, uh, maybe Macintosh users, Windows users, or... You know, we've got a lot of veteran Linux users listening as well, so um, welcome everybody. Welcome back. In this episode, I'm going to go uh, where I said I would never venture, and that is a discussion of KDE and GNOME. Yep, that's right. I'm going to throw myself on the sword, and I'm going to just dive right in. Uh, no, but it should be fun. I, I'm looking forward to it. I've had a lot of people ask me to do this for some reason. I don't know why, but... Uh, I've gotten a lot of emails over the last year about this topic, so I figured, well, you know, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and knock that out. Uh, let's see, administrative items. I don't have much. A couple things is um, please do check out the forms and uh, uh, say hello again to the last known god. He was kind enough to agree to serve as a moderator. Uh, the the spam had got, although it's really not bad compared to some forms. I mean, we would get one or two posts a day, but they were they were still there. And uh, the forums, which is, this is a good thing, are becoming very active. And uh, so occasionally there are threads that are, you know, posted in the wrong form or whatever. So he's helping kind of clean out the spam and move some threads and just kind of help out. So uh, please uh, go over there. And if you haven't registered, please register and say hello and introduce yourself. Uh, also, uh, I would appreciate it if you would consider casting a vote for this podcast over at podcastalley.com. You know, if you like the podcast, it's a very easy way to support uh, the podcast. I do get folks who have told me that they found the podcast through Podcast Alley. There's also Podcast Pickle, and there's also, uh, I think you can now rank uh, podcasts over at Dig and at Yahoo, but any of those would be good. Just, you know, something to get the podcast a little more exposure. You never know who might run across it, and every single vote or Dig or whatever, uh, you know, just kind of gives it a little bit more exposure. So, um, and that's what we're trying to do is give, not the podcast, uh, but Linux. That's what this, that's what it's all about is giving Linux more exposure and hopefully um, uh, broadening our user base and getting more people interested in Linux. Uh, let's see. Um, <clears throat> before I get into uh, the uh, main discussion here, I did want to play a promo I got from uh, some folks who are putting on the, the Scalex conference. It's a, the Southern California Linux Expo or something. And uh, sounds really interesting if you're able to go. I think it's in February. Uh, I would definitely encourage folks to go. I've never been, but I've heard it's really good, and I've heard they've had some good good guests out there in the past. So anyway, here's that promo, and then we'll get right into the main discussion. Does your computer crash? Are you aggravated with computer viruses and spyware? Are you looking for an alternative to Microsoft Vista? Whether you're an expert or have only just heard of Linux, here's your chance to learn more at the Southern California Linux Expo. You'll meet users of all skill levels and organizations who will show you what open source software can do for you at home or at work. The Expo has speakers who will discuss various hot topics in open source software, and this year we've even added beginner sessions to especially help those of you who are just starting out. The Southern California Linux Expo is February 10th and 11th, 2007, at the Weston Hotel at Los Angeles International Airport. For more information or to register, please visit www.socallinuxexpo.com. Use promo code CAST, C-A-S-T, for 40% off your registration. We'll see you there. Okay, let's see. We'll start with KDE. Um, 
Well, actually, before I get started, let me just say a couple things in general. First of all, um, I think it's really uh, important for folks to try, you know, as many different distributions and as many different desktop environments as possible. Ultimately, a lot of this gets down to just subjective personal opinions. And I'm not going to go and say which one I think is better, you know, between KDE or GNOME, just as I, I don't I, mean, I don't say what distribution is better. I don't think, I can't answer that. I mean, it, it's that's impossible because everybody's different and everybody has different things that are important to them. So, you know, who, I mean, what I like, and, and it's just not important. So I think it's important for folks to try different things and to try both KDE and GNOME as well as those other window managers I've talked about in the past and just see what, you know, see what you like. Because the great thing about Linux, without question, I think, is the choice and the variety. I mean, in most other operating systems, you're stuck with the default desktop and you know there's not much you can do about it maybe you can make some minor changes to icons or wallpapers or whatever but you can't really substantially modify the entire desktop environment like you can with linux and that's what i think is just so awesome so uh you know i just wanted to kind of put out that caveat that you know this is going to be just kind of a good general discussion of these two desktop environments just to tell people a little bit about them who you know for folks who haven't tried either one just to you know, encourage people to try either or both of these. Um, so KDE uh, is the first one I'll talk about. And KDE, well, it, let's see, it stands for K Desktop Environment, and it's been around since about 1996. Um, it was, it uses the uh, the Qt Toolkit. I've talked about toolkits before. Toolkits. I'm not a developer or coder, so I'll probably get this description wrong. But I'm just trying to sort of give a, a, a general idea. Basically, a toolkit is it's it's the software that kind of gives a desktop environment or a window sort of its look and feel, um, you know whether or not you know it kind of it's what helps draw the the windows and the and the buttons and the you know the widgets on the screen. It just you know the toolkit is what kind of helps developers put the software together in a, in a graphical sense. It's sort of the the graphical window dressing on on an application, and uh, KDE uses the Qt toolkit, which is developed by a company called Trolltech. Um, <clears throat> now, a long time ago, in, in the early days, Qt used to be uh, non-free. You know, non-free as in you know not free software. Uh, in other words, it was you know restricted somehow, um, and so. Um, uh, you know that was somewhat of an issue in the long ago past. That has been resolved for a long time. Occasionally, you still see people say, "Oh, you know, KDE and QT or Qt. It's not free. You know, it's not free software." And that's just not true. It is free software. I have heard Richard Salman say, and I've read him, you know, write in many, many different instances and in many different interviews that the Free Software Foundation people have no problem with. Qt or Qt, it is free software. So that's not an argument against Qt or Qt or, or KDE or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> KDE's, the current version as I record this is 3.5.5, I think it is. They're working on KDE 4, which I think is supposed to be out at some point in 2007, uh, but nobody knows you know, exactly when that will be. Um, KDE is the default desktop environment in a fair number of distributions, um, probably most notably Kubuntu, which is the KDE version of Ubuntu. Also, PC Linux OS, um, Slackware, um, and and there's many other. SUSE, uh, I think, well, nowadays I think they're kind of leaning towards GNOME, but historically SUSE has been a very strong KDE-centric uh, distro, and there's lots of others. Uh, 
and one thing that people say sometimes is that at first glance, KDE appears similar to Windows. And I guess what they're getting at is just from a very superficial uh, view of things, it is in the sense that it has a single panel or, you know, taskbar thing at the bottom with sort of a, you know, quote, start menu. I mean, it doesn't say start, but a a menu in the very bottom left corner uh, with the clock down in the lower right-hand corner. And that looks very much like Windows, just right out of the bat. Uh, but really, obviously, that's just a very superficial description. I mean, once you get down to it, it's not anything like Windows, of course. It's Linux, and it's a Linux desktop environment. Um, <clears throat> the main thing, I think, with KDE, I'd say its overall philosophy, uh, if, I, if I had to venture a guess, would be uh, customization. KDE is highly configurable. I mean, just about everything in KDE can be customized. Uh, it really, almost down to... You know the colors in certain windows and the back, the color of the background in a window, or the color of the title bar. I mean, almost everything can be themed or can be customized in some way, and even the applications are heavily customizable. So, you know, the overall sense I think of KDE is is one that is is in, intending to give the users as many options and choices and and ability to customize as possible. Uh, there's a KDE control center, which has options and configuration choices for just about everything, and that's where a lot of, <coughs> so that's where a lot of that customization comes in. Um, the KDE control center also has excellent graphical tools to help administer the system. So even if the distribution doesn't provide graphical tools, KDE has a lot of built-in graphical tools to administer, you know, servers or services or various underlying bits and pieces of the Linux. Uh, operating system, um, and that is is a big plus. I mean, a lot of those tools, in fact, are incorporated into distribution tools. Like I remember in the old days, I used Mandrake in, in my early Linux days, and there was the Mandrake Control Center. And it, I mean, a lot of those tools were were sort of you know uh, unique to to Mandrake, but a lot of those tools could then be found in the KDE Control Center, and there just seemed to be a lot of you know sort of interplay between the two. They worked well together. Uh, so KDE is is highly customizable, highly configurable. That's a big plus, I think, in its in its uh, in its corner, and um, it also has a lot of built-in applications, uh, games, and all kinds of of graphical um, applications and and software that kind of come with the default KDE installation. It's got a whole slew of you know, um, uh, tools for for using graphics and multimedia tools, and there's just a lot of built-in tools. There's a lot of games that come with KDE, assuming you you know that your KDE has the KDE games package installed. Um, there's just a lot of built-in stuff that come with it. So there's a lot going for it, sort of right out of the box. And so I think it's 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 good for new users who like the ability to customize, who lot of, who like a lot of things. There, you know, by default, in terms of you know choices of applications and things like that, it also has a fantastic file manager slash browser, and that's of course Conqueror. Conqueror, you know, is almost like a Swiss Army knife. I mean, it can do so many things. Uh, its two main purposes, of, of course, are to be a file manager. It's the main file manager for KDE, and it's also a web browser. And the file manager aspect of Conqueror is just, I think, is is a huge plus. It's a huge strength. It can do amazing things. 
it's so easy to mount networked file systems in Conqueror, whether it's Samba shares or even using Fuse, you know, with which is like you know sort of user level or user space file system. I've got I use Conqueror sometimes to do stuff over SSHFS. And uh, it can just, I mean, it really can, it's, it's excellent at that kind of thing. It also can do really cool, nifty little things. Like, for example, if you put an, an audio CD, you know, a music CD in your, in your computer, and you browse the contents with Conquer, one of the tabs in Conquer lets you sort of almost drag and drop the files, and it will convert them into MP3 on the fly, which is really cool. I mean, you don't even need to use a CD Ripper program. You can just use Conquer. Conqueror is a is an FTP client, and uh, I mean it, it can just do everything. It really is is amazing, and as a web browser, you know it, it also does a very good job. In fact, the uh, KHTML uh, rendering engine that I think is what underlies the Conqueror web browser is what Apple chose when it built Safari, its web browser. Uh, Apple Safari does not use the Gecko rendering engine, which is what you find in Firefox and Epiphany and some other browsers, but it uses the the rendering engine that you find in Conqueror. And Conqueror has, you know, all kinds of configurations on all sorts of things. I mean, you know, again, it can, and it's one application. It can browse your files and browse the web at the same time in two different tabs even. I mean, it's just, it really is cool. Um, KDE also has some excellent media applications. Probably the, the most notable of them all is Amarok. Uh, which is a fantastic media player. And I, I think I mentioned even as recently as last week or maybe it was the week before that I've been playing around with Amarok and KDE because I just haven't used either one of them all that much. And I think I even mentioned that I was just, you know, KDE wasn't, you know, just wasn't doing it for me. But I've continued to stick with it throughout this past week. And I really am appreciating what KDE can do and, and Amarok. And Amarok, gosh, it really is an amazing media player. The more I use it, the more I'm just stunned by what it can do it is really cool um and so that's a big plus for kde you know one thing that people have asked me and i've seen this in the forums and i've gotten emails about this a lot of times people ask well can i use you know gnome applications in kde or vice versa and the answer the short answer is yes certainly assuming your distribution includes sort of the low-level libraries that are needed to render those applications but that's that's pretty much present in just about every distribution. Even Slackware, which doesn't include GNOME at all anymore, um, you know, an officially packaged GNOME desktop environment, it does include all the libraries and things necessary to run GNOME applications. In fact, it includes some, like GFTP and some others. So, I mean, yes, you can certainly run GNOME applications in KDE and vice versa. And there are ways you can sort of make them look alike. I mean, it's never really exactly 100% either way. It's just, you know, because it does use different toolkits. I mean, you know, if you're in KDE and all your applications are Qt or Qt applications and you run GFTP, which is a GTK application, it's going to look a little different. No matter, even if you, you know, try to dress it up so they look very much alike, it's still going to be a little bit different. And it will still use the GTK file selection dialog, I think, rather than Conqueror. And so, you know, things like that are going to be a little bit different. But anyway, getting back to Amarok and, and everything, I mean, you can, you know, if, even if you use GNOME, you can certainly use Amarok in, in GNOME, and it should work just fine. Uh, but it, that really is that really is just an amazing application. Uh, a couple other things about KDE. Um, uh, this, you know, I don't know too much about this, but KDE uses this arts sounds subsystem as a way to, to sort of, you know, manage the sound and the sound cards in KDE. And I think that's been very problematic over the years. 
I've never really had too much of a problem with it, but I know that I, I, I think I've heard some of the KDE developers say that that's going to be replaced in KDE 4. So, you know, for whatever that's worth. Uh, but there's lots and lots of just little tweaks and little nice things that you hear and there throughout KDE that are really nice, and especially in just little hidden things. I mean, the context menus are very helpful, and they change constantly depending on what you're doing. You know, you can right-click on a tarball, and it will ask you if you want to unpack it. And, you know, that same thing is present in GNOME as well, but there just seems to be more of those little nifty little tweaks and in fact one i'll mention a little bit later in this episode in response to a question i got from a listener but um so you know kde i'd say in in summary is is an excellent uh, desktop uh, environment it's it, it initially it looks sort of like windows but that's obviously easily changed i mean you can you can put the menu bar at the top if you want instead of the bottom to make it look more like a mac os or like gnome i mean you can skin it however you want so that's kind of a superficial thing but um I would say that KDE is good for folks who really like to be able to get under the hood of the desktop environment and tweak things to the nth degree and and who like the ability to be able to configure just about everything. Now, you know, there are certain things that are that are not configurable. I mean, it's not not every literally every single single thing. One thing that bugs me um is and I have confirmed this in the KDE news um uh, news lists or mailing lists is with the RSS reader aggregator, which is the default RSS reader for KDE. If you you know if you set it so it display so it has a little icon in the system tray you know so it notifies it updates whenever your feeds are updated. There's numbers you know that are on top of that little icon that tell you how many feeds are new, and by default that font and the color can't be changed. It's like a blue font and you can't change it. And same within aggregator. The red and blue um, text that's used for red and unread or new threads or whatever, that also can't be changed. And so that's kind of annoying. But um, So there's always going to be little things like that. I think I even mentioned in a previous episode that I confirmed with some KDE folks that you cannot change the color of the text in the minimized windows down in the taskbar. Uh, so and it's not a big deal, but if you have your um, taskbar completely transparent, uh, sometimes it, the text is is impossible to see, and there's you know there's different settings for elegant, but then that looks that just doesn't look right. So you know little things like that. There's always going to be little niggles here and there that aren't you know that aren't totally uh, configurable. But by and large, just about everything is 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 able to be customized and configured in KDE. So I think it's excellent for folks who who like that kind of thing, who like that level of configuration. A couple quick sites that are good for KDE. One is kde-apps.org, and the other one is kde-look.org. kde-look.org, in fact, is a, is a great resource for, you know, uh, KDE themes and, uh, uh, you know, wallpaper and icons and just all, you know, Super Caramba, which is a... Uh, Super Caramba is, is a is a um, desktop widget application, almost like you know. I think in Mac OS they have something like that. I forget what it's called, but uh, or Confabulator. Um, if people who've used Macs have used something like that, but I mean Super Caramba has been around quite a while, longer than those other applications. So there's Super Caramba themes that you can get over there for have like you know floating um, weather updates or system monitors and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, that's kind of cool, and all that kind of good stuff is over at kde-look.org. So um, that's KDE in a nutshell, and uh, now let's talk about GNOME in a nutshell. And um, 
GNOME stands for the GNU Network Object Model Environment, and I know it's supposed to be GNOME, but I just for some reason I just I, that doesn't stick in my brain, and I don't know I don't know why. So I just always say GNOME. So if you're a stickler for that, you're just gonna have to bear with me. Um, but GNOME uses the GTK toolkit as opposed to the Qt or the Qt toolkit, which is what KDE uses. And um, GNOME, there's a very interesting um, post. If you if you just Google for history of GNOME, you'll find a, a web page um, uh, that was written by Miguel de Casa, who is a uh, a guy who um, helped start GNOME, and he worked for a company called Zimian, which was then purchased by Novell. So he works at Novell now, and he's a big GNOME guy. He works on a lot with Mono and and various other applications and things. And he has a sort of a history of GNOME. It's kind of interesting, and and to hear him basically, it originally grew out of the need to create another desktop environment that did not use the non-free QT toolkit, which, as I said a few minutes ago, back in the day, the QT toolkit was not free. Now it is, so that's no longer an issue. But historically, that's why the GNOME desktop environment started. It started shortly after KDE. I think, according to Miguel's post or his website, it's 96 slash 97, so more or less in the same time frame. Uh, the current version of GNOME is 2.16, and uh, what GNOME does as far as version numbering is it does similar to what the kernel d- devs do. You know, the odd numbers are sort of the development tree, and the even numbers are the stable releases. So prior to 2.16, the previous stable release was 2.14, and then 2.12, and 2.10. And you can have point releases after that. So I think actually currently the, the current version is 2.16.2, I think. Uh, but two, you know, 2.17 is the current development tree of GNOME, and the next version of GNOME 2.18 is supposed to be out in the spring, April, I think, April of 2007. Uh, so, going back to the sort of the superficial look, you know, as I mentioned, KDE from a superficial standpoint, at first glance, looks similar to Windows. Some has, have said that uh, uh, GNOME looks somewhat similar to Mac OS. Not the aqua part. I mean, it doesn't look, it doesn't have that aqua look, but in the sense of having a single menu bar at the top, you know, with drop down menus from the top, uh, with a, um, with a clock in the upper right hand corner, you know, that's all kind of similar to, to the Mac OS. Uh, and even the file manager, which is Nautilus, uh, looks a little bit like the Finder, um, which is the file manager in Mac OS. It's sort of a, sort of a three pane thing. You know, on the left, there's, there's two, there's an upper half and a lower half, and then on the right, there's a single bigger window. Uh, so it looks a little bit like the Finder. So, uh, you know, that's that's something that some people say. Of course, it can also be customized, and um, the themes are, are very easy to install. Uh, if uh, One good website, sort of getting ahead of myself, but is art.gnome.org. You can download um, uh, the you know themes uh, for GNOME. The nice thing about GNOME, as opposed to KDE, is that I think it's it's a little bit easier to theme. Uh, although it's well, in the sense that it's easier to install because there's only three components. I mean, there's the window manager dressing, you know, there's the uh, there's the engine, and uh, what's the I guess the icon set or something like that. And that's you know you can just drag and drop those things directly from the website. In fact, into the theme manager in GNOME. And they will install, and then you can just select them right away. With KDE, there's there's, there's a few more bits and pieces. I mean, there's like a color set. There's also a, a like a you know a style, which is kind of like a widget engine. Obviously, icons, you know, the window decoration. So there's sometimes there's a few more steps, and a lot of times those things you have to kind of download and unpack. 
before you can install them. Sometimes some of the things you can install through the graphical tools and other ones you have to move over into certain directories. So it just kind of depends. It's a, it's a few more steps, I think, with KDE, although in the end, I think KDE is more is more customizable. With GNOME, when you add in a theme, it's kind of set. I mean, you can't necessarily tweak it. Uh, for example, let's say you install you know, a widget engine in, in GNOME, like, you know, um, what is it, what, like ClearLux or something like that. I mean, there may be different versions of that widget engine that you can download and install with different colors, but once it's installed, you can't change it. Whereas with KDE, like, um, I know some of the engines have their own customization screens. Like, there's one, that, what is it called, QT Aqua or something, I forget. It's one of the, it's one of the newer themes or, or styles as they say for KDE and it has it adds a button in in the style uh, section of the KDE control center where you can go in and you can man you can customize this engine all different kinds of ways in terms of I mean everything I mean in terms of where it draws the lines how it draws the title bars and everything it's just amazing the amount of detail and customization that's available in KDE none of that is really available in GNOME so the themes that you download and install you kind of you know they are what they are and there's lots of different ones and you can install lots of different variations and combine them into a, a, you know a setup that you like but they're they're not necessarily customizable after installation um I think, you know, as far as, as in KDE, I said its overall thing would be customization. I guess with, with GNOME, you know, maybe, you know, this is just my opinion, maybe their their overall philosophy is sort of a less is more, and, and maybe, you know, um, uh, maybe another catchphrase would be, you know, just do one thing and do it well kind of a, kind of a thing. And so let me give you some examples of that. Um, the less is more is is in the sense that you know the options are minimal in terms of the configuration. You can obviously configure some things, but some things you can't. One example is in KDE, you can customize the color of the desktop font, and you can't do that in GNOME. Um, so you know that's just one very easy example. And uh, but you know you can, if you want, you can use something called the gconf editor or the gconfiguration editor that's that's in GNOME. I think it's under Applications and maybe under System. I think perhaps um, or System Tools or whatever it is. You'll see something called uh, gconf ed- editor or something, and um, or configuration editor. And you can you can drill down into that. It looks a little bit like the window regis- the Windows registry, but it's really kind of completely different. But it just has a has a resemblance to that. And within there, you can customize some things, uh, but not to the level of KDE. Uh, and, and so I think they try to make things less is more. You know, if you go into an application and go into preferences, there's generally just a few options to change. Because I think the idea is with GNOME is they have one thing, according to their website, it's the free software's first and only HIG, or Human Interface Guidelines. And again, according to the GNOME website, it's the first and only HIG in sort of free software land. And I don't know if that's true, but that's what they say. But, uh, you know, their, their human interface guidelines, the idea behind it is to set up a sort of a specification on how applications should work and how they should look and where things should go. So things are always in the same place in every single application, obviously, other than things that are unique to the application. But, you know, so the preferences is always under the same menu or whatever. I don't know. I can't think of other examples. But, you know, that's the idea is to make things simple and and sort of, you know, not minimalistic necessarily, but sort of a less is more approach. Um, 
the other sort of catchphrase with Gnome, I think, would be the, you know, the do one thing and do it well. And for that, as an example, let's compare the default web browsers. I mean, it's, and file managers. I mean, it's clearly evident right off the bat. I mean, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Conqueror is a combo Swiss Army knife file manager web browser that does all kinds of things in terms of networking and, and ripping CDs even and doing all kinds of stuff. With GNOME, you know, their default web browser is Epiphany, and that's all it is. It's just a web browser. It's not very extensible. It's not like Firefox where there's a, a zillion plugins and extensions. There are a couple, a few, a handful, but not really that many. And it is the idea is it's just a web browser, and you do one thing and do it well. That's all it's supposed to do and nothing else. Similarly with Nautilus, generally speaking, it's just a file manager. Now, it does do networking, and I have mounted SSHFS shares over with, with Nautilus, and I've done FTP with Nautilus. So, I mean, and it, you know, it does have a built-in CD burning program that is really just another um, a configuration or another pane in Nautilus. But, you know, it, it's just still, it's a little bit different. I mean, Amarok, I mean, not Amarok, Conqueror, it's just, I mean, you can add an Amarok tab into Conquer, for example, and manage Amarok from within Conquer. And you can't do that with Nautilus. I mean, you can't, you know. So, again, the less is more approach, I think, is sort of the way GNOME is trying to go. And so, uh, you know, uh, folks who who would like GNOME are probably ones who want, you know, who like that sort of less is more approach, who are not trying to configure everything under the sun and don't mind having some defaults, set up for them out of the box and with, with without an easy way to necessarily change some of those defaults and you know that that sort of thing i think it works well you know again for 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 folks who who like that you know that um who, who sort of like that less is more approach and it's interesting because you know again this goes back to what i was sort of saying in the very beginning sort of the caveats that you know there is no one single right choice or one is better or not or whatever. That's just not the case, I don't think, because I have worked with new Linux users firsthand and family members and friends, that is. And I have put them, I've had them use, uh, you know, a GNOME uh, distribution or desktop environment and a KDE one. And some like GNOME and some like KDE. I mean, it really is hit or miss. It's not like most like one and don't like the other or anything like that. It's really, it's completely... I mean, I have no way of telling in advance whether someone's going to like GNOME or KDE. And I think you have power users using both. I mean, you know, I hear a lot of developers talk about using GNOME. I mean, you would think that these, you know, developers who can do all kinds of stuff would be using KDE. And obviously some do, but some don't. So it's really kind of all over the board. Um, but, you know, GNOME is also is also an excellent desktop environment, just like KDE. Again, it has a completely different philosophy, I think. I think the two are very different. Sometimes people talk about that the two should come together and just make one desktop environment, and I really disagree with that. I think, again, the choice is the key to Linux, and, you know, maybe some people think that choice is bad, that, you know, too much choice makes it complicated. And, you know, there are other areas of you know of using computers where you don't have choice and i like to be able to have choice in the desktops and in the dist- and in the distributions we use because it is such a personal and subjective thing so uh anyway that's sort of my little summary of gnome a couple sites for gnome obviously i mentioned one is art.gnome.org there's also gnome-look.org just like the kde look.org and also gnomefiles.org that's a website maintained by the folks that run os news 
Uh, GNOME files is great. It's sort of like the KDE apps in the sense that it's it's got a the idea is it's a repository of applications for GNOME GTK applications that you know you can read about and read when they're updated and read comments and learn what the dependencies are and just learn about different you know GTK applications. So I like that site a lot. That's really handy. Uh, so I think that's sort of my summary of these two desktop environments. Again, I encourage people to check them both out. I think that's really critical before deciding which one you like. And uh, I don't think there's a wrong choice because everybody's different and everybody has different uh, things that they like and the things that they don't like. So I'm glad that they're both around. That's what it really comes down to because, again, I think it's all about choice, at least, at least for me. That's what I like about Linux. Okay, so I think with that, uh, we're going to get to some feedback, and um, uh, I've, got a, I've got an audio question, I've got a couple pieces of feedback, and then I've got some questions by email. So I thought I'd, uh, I, don't, I don't have any other audio files other than the one, so I thought I'd take on some questions and throw out some questions and try to answer some, some questions for folks. So here is the, uh, here's the listener feedback starting with an audio question. Yeah, hi, Chess. My name's John from Northeast Philadelphia. Long-time listener of your of your uh, state of your reality mix reality show. I had a question. I was wondering if you have in the future any plans on doing a episode on Linux XP 2006? Because I have a 64-bit PC with uh, 512 megs of memory, 120 gig hard drive, ATI video card, and it just doesn't seem after it installs, it just freezes. It doesn't go into the the boot segment. Um, if you could. Uh, respond back to me in the next episode. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Once again, it's John from Northeast Philly. Bye. Okay, well, thank you so much for sending in that audio question. I really like getting the audio files from people. And you can call the listener voicemail uh, to leave a message. Please do that. The number's on the Linux Reality homepage, or you can use the audio service if you don't have a a phone to call. But it's so great getting stuff in listeners' voices. That's just, it makes things, it just makes it better. So, now, to answer your question, unfortunately, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I have never used Linux XP, the distribution. I'm certainly aware of it. Um, and I don't know why it wouldn't be working on your 64-bit system. It could be that it's not a 64-bit distribution. I poked around their website a little bit, and it wasn't quite clear. It looked like in under the system specifications, they talked about you know 386 machines and all this kind of stuff. It and I just don't know enough about, I don't have a 64-bit system, so I think there's ways you can get 32-bit stuff to run on 64-bit systems. I don't know how that works. I don't know if that means you can use any 32-bit distribution on a 64-bit machine, and so if so, that this thing should work, and for some reason it's not. I So I apologize. I, I don't know the answer to your question. Uh, it looks like they have some forms on their website. I would try posting there. And if folks out there who are listening have any ideas on this, uh, you know, please feel free to post a, a response in the forums, uh, the, the Linux reality forums, you know, in the thread for this particular episode. And hopefully, hopefully um, you'll check it out and see if there's any responses there. So thank you so much for sending that in. All right. Then I've got an email here from John. And John just says, I just wanted to tell you how much I really enjoy your podcast. I'm a 52-year-old computer administrator living in South Carolina. I've only been listening to podcasts for about six months now. I've been a Linux user for a year or so, Slackware 10.2. In my small town, I can't get broadband, so I am relegated to dial-up at home. 
but I have an iPack and go to the local hotspots and download your MP3s. I found your podcast when I ran a search for Slackware a few months back. I have listened to most of your podcasts. I think what I like best about them is that you have a knack for answering the questions that pop into my mind as you are explaining things and do a thorough job of explaining all the steps in a logical way. Anyway, I don't usually send out emails like this, but I really do enjoy your shows and wanted to let you know. Keep up the good work. That's from John. Well, John, that's an awfully nice email. Thank you for sending it along. I'm sorry you're stuck with dial-up. That's got to be pretty rough. Uh, but I'm glad that you're able to find those hotspots and download the MP3s. I mean, you you know, you gotta love uh, free internet access, right? Uh, so thank you, John. Uh, I got another email uh, here from another listener named John, or from another John, I should say, and uh, he says, "I have just started using Linux Ubuntu as a result of hearing Marcel Gagné on Call for Help uh, TV and purchasing his books. I came across your website and downloaded your archive podcast, and I'm currently at version seven. One week, and I'm looking forward to all the others. Just wanted to thank you for doing this for us new users. A great help and very much appreciated. Can't seem to download Adobe Flash yet to get on Frapper, but I will keep working at it. Learning lots may be too fast for an old guy at 65. (laughs) Thanks again, and that's John. Uh, Well, John, you're never too old uh, to learn Linux um, and never too young to learn Linux. I've, I've gotten emails from listeners who are like 12 years old and 13 years old, and that's just amazing it really is amazing and i think that's incredible and that's awesome and it's also awesome to hear from folks who are you know 65 i think i think the oldest listener i heard from was someone who was in his late 70s believe it or not and uh it just goes to show you that you know again the broad reach of linux across this world and across different ages and Unfortunately, not as much across different genders. We don't have as many women Linux listeners, at least, as men, at least according to my emails. Um, But hopefully that's improving. But um, thank you, John, for sending that email. And I'm I'm glad you're enjoying the show and that you're checking out Ubuntu Linux. And that's a great distribution to start with. So check out Ubuntu. And now check out Kubuntu so you can check out KDE as well. Actually, if you have Ubuntu installed, it's very easy to install KDE. I think you can... Do it, you know, through apt-get. I think it's apt-get install KDE desktop, maybe. Anyway, don't don't uh, don't take that uh, for that's just off the top of my head. But I'm sure there's information about that on the Ubuntu website. All right, let's see. Got a, a question here from Nick, and Nick says, "I've been listening to your show since I." Uh, got my first distribution of Linux, Fedora Core 5, about a month ago. I found the information that the show provides invaluable. I was wondering if you happen to know how to make a program start from the command line. For example, I have a program called uh, GNUplot, and I run it simply by typing GNUplot in the command line. I have a few programs that I have written in Fortran, and I wish I could run them like GNUplot. As of now, the best I can do is compile the codes and run the executable by typing in, and he's got you know a dot, forward, slash, and then the file name. This is fine, but the problem is I have to change the directory to the directory which contains the executable each time I wish to run the program. Uh, If you happen to know of any websites with information on how to do this, or you know how to yourself, I would greatly appreciate it if you would help me out. Thanks a lot, and keep up the great work with the show. Well, let's see. Uh, Nick, I think actually Nick posted posted this in the forums as well, and I think he's already gotten help, but I wanted to read it in case other people had the same question. The answer is what you want to do is you want to add, you want to create a directory in your home directory where you're going to keep this particular, any of these executables. Um, and then you want to add that directory to your path. Now, a path is what's, the, the path is, is what's called an environment variable or environmental variable. It's, it's 
I'm going to do an episode on, on all of this. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But basically, there are variables that are, that are set once you log in that are used kind of system-wide and, and, and are used in a lot of different in a lot of different areas. But anyway, one of those variables is one that's called path, P-A-T-H. And the path variable is a listing of directories separated by semicolons of all the directories where your executable files are located. In other words, when you try to run a program, if you just go into the command line and you type Firefox, it it's going to look for that, it's going to look for an application called Firefox in the directories that are listed in your path. So what you can do is you can add a, a, a directory in your home directory to your path. In other words, set it so when you type in a name, it will look in that directory as well. And it's very easy to do. What you need to do is open up in your terminal a, a text editor, say you use Nano or something like that, and edit a, a hidden file in your home directory. Uh, and it's called dot .bash underscore profile. Now, if this file is not there, you'll need to create it. You can use do that in the command line, line by typing touch space dot bash underscore profile. Um, or, of course, I think if you just type in nano uh, dot bash underscore profile, it will create that file. You know, so either way, you got to create this file if it's not there already, and you put in two lines. Okay, the first one is path in all caps p a t h equals okay. And then you got to put a dollar sign path because that's a variable colon, and then that directory in your home directory. So you could put like home slash user slash scripts or home slash user slash bin. That's a directory that's often that's you know a common designation. Okay, you put that on one line, and then the second line is you put export path again path being in all caps. Uh, and what that will do is when you log out and then log back into your session, uh, that will, what it's doing is you're setting your local path variable to include this directory, and then you're exporting that to your environmental variables. In other words, it adds that directory to your environmental variables, to your path, and then it will look in that directory as well as any other system directories, like, for example, USR slash bin or USR local bin or whatever it will look in your home slash user slash scripts directory or whatever you want to call it. So that's a very easy way to do it. And then you can just drop your executables into that directory and you'll be good to go. So I've done this as well. I've got a directory called scripts that's got all my scripts in there. And that's what I've done is I've, I've added that to my bash profile. Okay, last one here is another question. And, um, and this is from Damien. And he says, hi, Chess. I'm just wondering if you or the listeners know of a Linux equivalent to the Windows DOS prompt here power toy. For those not familiar with this, basically you navigate to the folder you're interested in using whatever graphical file, file manager you use, then right click, and in the context menu you would have the option DOS prompt here, or in the case of Linux, terminal here, and it would open a terminal window already within the folder you were looking at. I'm using Ubuntu 6.10 and I can't seem to find an equivalent and regularly miss it. And he also has a listener tip, which I think we've had this before. He says, one thing I regularly do is run sudo nautilus from a terminal so I can manipulate files and folders as root from a graphical file manager. This always gives an error and works anyway, and I've just found it found out courtesy of the Fresh Ubuntu podcast that I should actually use GK sudo nautilus. So if you want to run any graphical app as root, you could use GK sudo rather than sudo. That's a good tip. Thanks, Damien. Uh, as to your question about this terminal here, I know that 
<laughs> this is why I picked this question because it was very apropos. Conqueror has that option. Uh, if you right-click in a, in a directory when you're using Conqueror, somewhere in the context menu, I don't remember exactly where, but there's a basically a, an you know, open terminal here entry. And Nautilus does not have an equivalent functionality out of the box. There might be a Nautilus script that does it. There's Nautilus, you can use scripts with Nautilus uh, that sort of add some functionality to it. I've never looked for that, and so maybe if anybody has any ideas on how to do that with Nautilus, uh, maybe you can post in the forums, you know, again, in the, in the thread to this particular episode. That would be real helpful. But um, you can do that with Conqueror, so that probably doesn't help you if you're using Ubuntu. Uh, if you're using Kubuntu, then of course you would have Conqueror available to you. So, but I think there's ways to do this. So we're just going to have to investigate a little bit more, and maybe we can enlist the help of some other listeners out there. So, thank you for sending that in, Damien, and uh, thanks to everybody else for all your uh, emails. I've gotten a lot of emails uh, so far this year, and uh, I really, really that's just that's just awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to drop me a line. I've been trying to do better about responding to emails personally. I still am not at 100%. Um, I've just got too many to go through, but I'm, I'm trying to keep up with them uh, and respond to everyone. So, um, you know, thank you for sending the emails and feel free to do so. And please do consider uh, calling the listener hotline or call, using the audio thing to leave a, a voice email or voice comment as well. So, all right, I think that does it for this week. And uh, with that, I think it's about time to close up shop. everybody well uh thanks again for tuning in this is episode 45 again we're coming up on a year uh it's not going to be episode 52 obviously because i took off that time but uh i don't know what number it will be but uh 47 48 49 somewhere in that range i guess but hey it's going to be a year of podcasts uh which is awesome not much compared to the linux link tech show guys or lug radio or dave yates you know he had his one year um anniversary recently but I'm pretty excited about it, and, uh, you know, like I've told you before, it's because of you guys and the great feedback and the support and the forum participation and your donations. All of that is greatly appreciated, and, uh, you know, it really adds to the show, and it makes it, makes it fun to do. Uh, it really does. So thanks for that, everybody. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. Uh, we'll have a new episode for you next week, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of um, keeping keeping some ideas here. I've gotten some ideas from listeners on some topics, so... I'm going to, you know, just see what see what speaks to me, and we'll, we'll get to that. We've got a long list of things to get to. So take care, everyone. Have a good week and a good weekend, and I'll catch you all next time. Take care, everyone. This has been Episode 45 of Linux Reality. Bye-bye.